Please be taking out your Bibles tonight and turning to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the 55th chapter, chapter 5, 5. You know, our founding fathers in the United States Constitution sought to guarantee the right to life, liberty, in the pursuit of happiness. And we certainly know what has happened since, don't we? The right to life has been aborted, abandoned, and butchered for the most helpless and vulnerable among us. The right to liberty has become in some cases such a mockery that the righteous get treated more like the criminal while the guilty go and get set free. But boy, that pursuit of happiness is alive and well, isn't it? That pursuit of happiness more than makes up for the shortfalls of the other two. Every shameful, conceivable, and soul-destroying sin imaginable just is constantly paraded and promoted and engaged in. People are in an all-out effort to pursue and possess that ever-elusive joy and happiness, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. And yet, the more that people pursue this supposed joy and happiness that the world has to offer, the more it evades, avoids, and escapes them. And yet, even though people try to attain joy that lasts, they try to attain happiness that lasts, and it doesn't ever seem to work long-lasting, they still pursue happiness and satisfaction where it simply cannot be found, or at least it cannot be found for long. They seek happiness and the approval of other people. What happens when other people's approval disappears? Well, they're not happy. They seek it in the acquisition or the exercise of power. If they can just lord it over somebody, they feel good, but that doesn't last very long. They seek it in an immoral rush or an emotional high. They seek happiness and joy in that which is temporary and vaporous instead of eternal and glorious. They seek happiness and joy in the earthly things of man rather than the eternal things of God. Sadly, some of that even seeps into the church from time to time. People say, well, you know, I'm just not happy. God wants me to be happy. And so they go off and they pursue happiness some other place than God. They turn their back on the only one that can give them true and lasting happiness because they're seeking it based on outer physical surroundings instead of inner spiritual understanding. So their joy and happiness does not last. Because they're pursuing it everywhere except with God, that is why abuse, alcoholism, abortion, and those sorts of things continue to ravage our nation. That is why divorce, depression, drug addiction, all of those sorts of things continue to destroy individuals, families, and even churches. As people pursue worldly happiness to death. They literally 
pursue happiness to death. And in the end, they find nothing more than more misery and emptiness. But here's the good news. This is not a, this is not a, a newscast tonight, okay? Here's the good news. While our founding fathers sought to provide us with the right to pursue happiness, our Heavenly Father promised to provide us with the possession of happiness. God promised to provide <coughs> us with the, with the possession of happiness, not just the pursuit of it. In Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, Isaiah 55, 1, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? The implication here is, why do you spend your life, your time, and all of your resources pursuing stuff that's never going to fulfill you, it's never going to keep you happy, it's never going to take care of that desire that you have to be filled and satisfied? Why do you do that? He goes on and says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you the sure mercies of David. If we look at verse 2, we find that God provides our souls not only with, and I use this term loosely, mere happiness, not just mere happiness, but God provides our souls with this incredible spiritual delight. You know what I think of when I think of the word delight? Remember the old dairy delights, right? I think of ice cream. Why does my mind go to ice cream? <laughs> but you take a hot Oklahoma summer day, and you're out mowing the lawn or something, and it's 105 degrees in the shade. Boy, that ice cream tastes pretty good at the end of the day. It's a delight. It just, oh, it goes down so good. And that's what I think of when I, when I read this. And, and God says, let your soul delight itself in abundance. Come to me, and I have what you need to make you happy and joyful and fulfilled and satisfied. This spiritual delight is found and enjoyed by those who completely immerse themselves in God's love and God's word. Turn to me, for example, to Psalm 36. We'll see this again. Psalm 36, look with me at verses 7 through 10. Psalm 36, verses 7 through 10. David writes here, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Now watch this. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your <coughs> pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Oh, continue <coughs> your loving kindness to those who follow you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Those people who pursue God and immerse themselves in God and draw near to God and they're under the shadow of his wings, they are abundantly filled. Their joy is unending. Tonight, I want to preach kind of a, that was the introduction, 
Tonight, I want to preach kind of a sister sermon to the one that we listened to this morning. This morning we talked about joy, and tonight is, is related to that. I want to show you the secret from the Old Testament of the truly happy man. The truly happy man. And the lion's share of this sermon will come from the very first psalm. Turn with me, would you please, to Psalm 1, and let us break it down. The truly happy man. I find it beautiful. I find it intriguing. I find it incredible that as we begin the book of Psalms, the very first psalm is about being happy. And if we continue to follow the rest of the psalms and do what the writers did, we will find that happiness. But Psalm 1 is almost an introduction. The very first word of the book of Psalms is blessed. Blessed. We know from our study of the Sermon on the Mount that the, the Greek New Testament word for blessed means happy. And notice that it says in verse 1, happy is the man. I want us to understand that the word is, happy is, this word is means it is a certain and sure kind of thing. The literal force of the original Hebrew in this sentence is this. Oh, how very happy is the man. It's a very forceful, the way it's written in the Hebrew, it's very forceful. He is, how very happy is the man who does not do three things that he's about to list. Number one, the truly happy man is one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He does not take the advice nor follow the course of those who do not follow God. Number two, the happy man who is truly happy is one who does not stand in the path of sinners. That is, that doesn't mean he doesn't stand in the path and try to block them. That's not what that means. But when it says one who does not stand in the path of sinners, it means he does not linger or loiter where they go. He does not consider what they do nor entertain the idea of pursuing their particular path, even for a moment. He doesn't consider, you know how Eve turned and she looked at the fruit? She considered it. This man, who is a happy man, is one who does not, number two, who does not stand there in their way and look it over and think, wow, maybe I should try that. He doesn't do that. He's happy. He doesn't, he doesn't stand and consider how fun it would be to be involved in sin. He does not wonder how it would be or see how close he could get or what he could gain from following the path of sinners. And number three, the truly happy man is one who does not sit in the seat of the scornful. In other words, he does not sit down with them. He is not one who joins those who mock and ridicule those who are trying to do God's will. Remember the two thieves on the cross initially? They would mock and ridicule the righteous Jesus. But the truly happy man is one who does not sit there and mock and ridicule those trying to accomplish God's will. I want you to, to understand something. When we think of poetry, typically, in the English language, we think of words that rhyme, right? Rhyme the end of the sentence. That's pretty much a, a basic definition of poetry. But ancient Hebrew poetry stressed thought rhyme 
than word rhyme. Thought rhyme rather than word rhyme. What I mean by that is that instead of just having words that rhyme, ancient Hebrew poetry often used terms that were related. They were related. This is called progressive parallelism. You see it right here in verse 1. Please notice. The blessed man is one who does not walk, stand, and sit. You see, you see how the words are related? He does not walk with them. He does not stand and consider their ways. He does not sit with them. When they level their word battles on the righteous. If you think about it, it kind of paints a word picture, a progressive word picture of how one slips into sin. Number one, going along with the crowd, walking with them, going along with the crowd. This is where one begins to slip into sin. Number two, not only does he walk with them, but he begins to take a stand with them. And number three, he begins to sit and stay with them and do what they do. That's a progression into sin. We call it peer pressure, simply put. But those words are related as they show a progression. But the truly happy man is one who doesn't even start down that road, according to verse 2. Instead, his delight, there's our ice cream word again, but his delight, not in walking with him, standing with him, or sitting with him, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in God's law, he meditates day and night. This is a truly happy person. It goes along with what we talked about this morning. The source of the truly happy man's joy, of his happiness, of his security, of his comfort, of all of these things, his delight, the source of it, God and God's word. His delirious delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God. Blessed or happy is he. I want to show you from another psalm. What a prevalent thought this is. And show you several times where God said this. There's many, many, many times. But let's just turn to Psalm 119. Would you please? We'll be back here in a few minutes. Psalm 119. I want to show you here how blessed or happy is that man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And who meditates on it day and night. That's where happiness comes from. That's where lasting happiness comes from. Just a few verses from here. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 3. Blessed, here's our word again. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Blessed are those, are happy, same word, blessed, happy, are those who keep his testimony, who seek him with the whole heart. Remember the lesson this morning? We talked about what it took to be truly joyful. person who completely makes it their priority to seek God. Psalmist says the same thing. Verse 3, they also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. If we look down in verses 14 through 16 in the same psalm, look what we read there. I have rejoiced, truly happy man, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight, there's our ice cream from again. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I'm telling you what, verses 14 through 16 is a truly happy man, is it not? 
We see this all the way through. Look at, look at verses 33, 4, and 5. Look what it says. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I'll keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the paths of your right, of your commandments, for I delight in it. Let me give you two more quickly. Look at verses 47 and 8. I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. We would see the same thing finally again in verses 89 through 92, where it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth, and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. You notice the security there? God put this all together. God can do this. God can take care of me and keep me happy. But then look what he says in verse 92. This is very important. Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. That verse sums up everything we've talked about in these two lessons today. Unless your law had been my delight, if I had been looking for joy and happiness anywhere else, where it can't be found in the, in the long-lasting, lifelong way that you provided God, if I had been looking anywhere else for my joy and my happiness, he said, I would have perished in my, my affliction. My affliction would have taken me down. This kind of joy you offer can't be found anywhere else. Life would have taken, taken its toll. I would have perished in the midst of the trouble. You notice that his delight was not based on the absence of affliction, but flourished within it. That's key in verse 92. Verse 92 is a big verse. It wasn't that he didn't have any trouble in his life. It wasn't that he didn't have problems. He had affliction, terrible affliction. <coughs> but he could still have delight during that time because he knew God. His affliction drove him deeper into God's word. He understood that his happiness was not determined by his happenings. That's a big one. Happiness is not truly determined by happenings. Could Paul be happy in a Philippian jail cell? Yeah. Happiness is not determined by what I have on the outside, but on who I have on the inside. If you don't think so, next time that you're at your counter in your favorite supermarket, you see all the, the trash magazines there, look at some of these multimillionaire people who have it all. They have the looks and they have the money and all that and, and see how many relationships and marriages and rehabs they've been through. All of that stuff they have doesn't make them happy. Happiness is a decision. Happiness is a choice. Some of the happiest people in the world are some of those who have the least amount of physical things. Even the afflicted. He said, I, I, I had terrible affliction. It would have swept me under unless your law had been where I found my joy. His happiness was not determined by his circumstances, but by his scripture stances. That's why he delighted to meditate on it day and night. Psalm 1, back to that, verse 2. This is a picture in Psalm 1, verse 2, of a person 
who is reading and rereading and studying and thinking about God's Word all the time. A person who did this day and night. That's what he says in verse 2. Look at verse 3. This man, as described in verses 1 and 2, will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. This describes that truly happy man further. He says he's like a tree. Like a tree. This idea of like a tree is a figure of speech that is used several times in the Old Testament to describe the righteous. Let me give you two examples. Psalm 92, please turn there. Look at this tree, this righteous one. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. Look what it says. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our Lord. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. We see there this idea of a tree being the righteous. He said even in old age they bring forth fruit. They don't stop serving the Lord just because they're getting a little older than some. Look at the contrast with me in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. The same idea. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 really, really reflects Psalm 1 well. Jeremiah 17, <laughs> starting at verse 5. He's going to give you a contrast. Just like you have a contrast in Psalm 1, you're going to have a contrast between the one who's just rooted in Christ, just rooted in the Word of God, just, just loving God and making God his top priority. You're going to have the contrast between one who does and one who does not. It's going to begin with the one who does not. Jeremiah 17, beginning verse 5, says this, Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. He'll be like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. Think of some of these old westerns, maybe some of you watch. The tumbleweeds, dried out, lifeless, wind-blown through the, through the sand and the heat. I get that idea when I think about a shrub in the desert, lifeless, without water. But if we look at him who is in a salt land which is not inhabited versus the tree, the righteous man, in verses 7 and following, this is what we see. Look at the contrast. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river. He will not fear when he comes. Listen, when life gets hard and the going gets rough and the heat comes and it's hard to keep going, this man does not fear. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. 
This is the man who follows God. This is the man who's immersed in God, who's rooted in Christ. This is the person whose roots go down to God, and, and he doesn't fear when the drought comes, when life gets hard, when things get dry in this picture. He's like a tree. If we go back to Psalm 1, we find out in verse 3 that this righteous man is like a tree planted by the water. How much better off is a tree planted by the water than one that is not? Right? Its roots go down and soak up the water and it stays green even in time of drought. As I read this passage in verse 3 of Psalm 1, I'm reminded of the times where Jesus talked about he was the living water in the New Testament. Places like John chapter 7, verses 37 and 8. Places where we talk about the river of life in Revelation 22, 1 through 4, and, and, and the beauty and the life that comes from this living water. In Jeremiah 17 and verse 8 that we read, it talks about the man of God who meditates on the word day and night, and how he's not only just happy himself, but he is an oasis for others who are in a dry and thirsty land. Think about that. If you need help from somebody, psychological, or you're going through something, or spiritual, isn't the help always best that comes from somebody who knows God's word inside and out and lives it? Isn't that help always the strongest and the most powerful? This person not only is one who has this life because he's anchored in Christ, but he's like an oasis to other struggling people. He doesn't stop bearing good fruit, even when he's in the heat, because he's rooted and grounded in God and his word, just like Jesus taught in John 15, 4 and 5. So guess what? This person, we see that adversity does not affect his ability to enjoy and achieve lasting happiness. It does not matter what the world throws at him does not matter what the world does to him. does not matter what the world takes from him. Life will not steal this person's joy because it cannot sever his rooted connection to God. He makes sure his roots are strong to God because he studies day and night. This is a picture of one who, even if they're walking through a dry and thirsty life, maintain their joy. You go home later on, if you want to read more about this, Psalm 63, 1 through 8 is terrific. However, tonight, because of time, we will move on. We've talked about this blessed man, this happy man, all through verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 1. Now, by contrast, as we said earlier, we're going to talk about those of a different ilk, those who are not happy, those who cannot achieve this happiness. We begin in verse 4 with this contrast. But the ungodly are not so. They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Literally, once again, in the original Hebrew, this is a very forceful statement. Not so are the ungodly, with like three exclamation points. There's a power to the way this is written in the original. And it's meant to be emphatic, like if I'm really stressing it. Not so are the ungodly. There's power in the way this is originally put. And please notice it doesn't even describe these people as a dying tree. It describes them as chaff. You all know what chaff is, right? It's that light waste material from the wheat. 
that the wind just blows away. This is the picture of a dry, lifeless existence without God. Those who live a vain, futile, and useless life because they are spending their life in pursuit of pleasures cannot satisfy. Just like we talked about in the beginning in Isaiah 55 and verse 2. This is a life, and, and I, I hate to say this, but it's a wasted life. It's a wasted life. A life spent in pursuit of what this world has to offer is a wasted life because you can't take any of that with you. The only thing that's going to matter when we get one millisecond beyond our last breath is the relationship we had with God, and that's the only thing that's going to matter. And so to spend our lives in a pursuit of something other than God and the joy and happiness he brings me now and the relationship that I want to have with him after I leave this place, and we're all going to leave this place, nobody's staying here long term. And so to not spend my life seeking God and being rooted in God is a wasted life, no matter what we think we acquire otherwise. Remember those in Ephesians 2.12, Paul said, they are without hope and without God in the world. When he was telling them, he says, remember what you were at that time, separated from God. You were, you were without God and without hope. What a hopeless life it is without God. I think sometimes some of our kids that grow up in the church, I don't think they can fully appreciate what it means to be without hope and without God because they've always been around God. But those who choose to remain in or return to that condition of not seeking God, not building their life on God, they're referred to as chaff, they're going to get blown away by the storms of life. And in the end, they're going to face the fire. Jesus talked about so many times in the New Testament. What a waste. Verse 5. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. They will not stand in the judgment any more than we are to stand with them in the ways of sin, as he said in verse 1. This is circular reasoning. They will be forced to fall down in shame on the day of judgment because they spent their life in pursuit of things other than the God who they're standing in front of to give account. If we read more of verse 5, we find out that they also have no legitimate place with the righteous on earth either, because he says, therefore the ungodly, they'll not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. In other words, they have no part, either here or there. Another passage you might consider when you get home tonight if you really want to read about how serious sin is and, and this type of thing is Psalm 101. Writer Psalm 101 took sin real serious. Finally, verse 6 of Psalm 1. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous because the righteous are those who walk in his way. Verses 1 and 2. Do you see the circular right back around? He knows the way they walk because they're walking with him. Verses 1 and 2. And they are delighted to walk with him. You know why they're delighted to walk with him? Because they know where the road leads. At the end of the road is heaven. And so they're delighted as they keep their eyes on heaven. There's a beautiful Old Testament passage regarding God's promise to bring forth the Messiah. And we would see the same joy there highlighted for those people who would pursue God 
We see it so crystal clear. Turn there with me to Isaiah 35, would you please? The truly happy man is the one who walks in the counsel of God. Nothing, young people, nothing else on this earth can satisfy like God can. Nothing else can give you that long-term joy like the Lord can. I didn't grow up in church. I lived on the other side of the track, spiritually speaking. Many in this room did. We're here because we choose to be and we would never go back. Because there's nothing back away from God that can bring us the kind of joy that lasts the way God can. Look at me in Isaiah 35, beginning at verse 5. Watch this. This is a messianic prophecy. It talks about what God is going to provide through the Messiah. Prophetic language, but look at it. Isaiah 35, verse 5. Talking about when he sends Jesus. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. Waters will burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Hey, streams in the desert. You know why? So that man who's like a tree planted by the water will have a place to be in that dry and thirsty land. What a beautiful picture. The parched ground shall become a pool. Why? Because God is continuing to feed these who are rooted like a tree planted by the water. God is providing everything to the righteous to thrive and bring forth fruit. The parched ground again, verse 7, shall become a pool. The thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there will be grass with reeds and rushes. It's not going to be the desert of sin. It's going to be plush and lush and green and beautiful. You know what else is going to be there? A highway shall be there in a road. It shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go upon it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. I think of the New Testament talking about straight and narrow. This highway of holiness that leads to heaven. And as God draws this prophetic picture of the Messiah, don't miss the last verse. And look at the joy. Look at it. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. There is nothing else in the universe that can give you everlasting joy. Joy that does not stop. Except to know that you are redeemed and right with God Almighty. That's it. That's the message. They'll come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the truly happy man. I have a question. How, how could you possibly be on that highway described in verses 8 through 10 and not be absolutely delighted to be there? How could you be on that highway and not be delighted? Unless you lost sight of maybe where you are by not meditating on the map and understanding where you are. After all, only those who are lost 
ought to be desolate and desperate, for the way of the ungodly shall perish. When we talk about the way of the ungodly perishing, which is the last line of the first Psalm, Psalm 1 and verse 6, when we talk about the way of the ungodly perishing, isn't that a pretty good description of those who are looking for joy in all the wrong places? Stop and think about it. It's like the man in Luke chapter 12. The man there in Luke chapter 12, in verses 15 through 21, who laid up treasure for himself but was not rich towards God. He had all this stuff and he needed to build bigger barns. And, and, and what did God say? He said, you fool. He should have been right with God. But instead, he laid up treasure for himself, but was not rich towards God. As we think about that phrase, the, ungod the way of the ungodly shall perish, that's the way of people who don't make seeking God their top priority in life. It's almost like, as we talk about this, this way perishing, it's almost like you get on a path, you're going into the woods. Some of you have wheelers and ATVs. It's like getting onto this path that's maybe the width of an ATV path, and, and you think you're going to this beautiful place, and Satan just kind of tempts you, and, and you start walking this path, and this path gets narrower and narrower, and it kind of crisscrosses and goes around. Before long, you're on a footpath, and you keep going, and you keep going, and, and eventually it winds up in some swamp, and there's no way out. That's the way of sin. That's the way that the Satan draws us off. The path gets gets more and more hard to see, and the path back is impossible to find. The way of the ungodly shall perish. We wind up in a swamp of sin from which there is no escape. No wonder people who are on that path will, will pluck at <coughs> Satan's promises of, of momentary pleasure. Their lives are so listless. They have no true and lasting delight. They just gradually unravel into the abyss. They are about, they have about as much cause to be happy, truly and lastingly happy, as the diligent child of God has to be miserable. Question tonight. Are you the truly happy person? <coughs> are you the truly and continually happy person that we've seen described in Psalm 1 and these other related places? God wants you to be. He truly does. Sometimes Satan, Satan is powerful all the time. He's not as powerful as God. We understand that. Satan's powerful, isn't he? If you don't believe that, look around the world. Look what he's done. Look what he's done in your own family. And sometimes he just gets us to focus on things that don't bring us joy, not lasting joy, and he robs us of it. Better yet, we let him have it. Psalm 1 is how to remain a truly happy person. Period. Tonight we talked about happiness. The truly happy man this morning we talked about joy. Both of the sermons come to the same point. Seeking, studying, serving, suffering, submitting, sacrificing to God is the highway of holiness and is the path of joyousness. Tonight if you do not have as much joy in your life as God has described, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray with you. If you've never become a child of God by being baptized and having your sins forgiven, 
you probably don't have lasting joy in your life. I can't see how you can because there's always that threat of death hanging over you. And, and knowing what the Bible says, don't you want to be right with God? Beautiful thing to know that your sins are forgiven and are removed as far as the east is from the west. I can live my life in joy knowing that God has forgiven my sins. He did that when I repented and was baptized. If you've never done that, you can do that tonight. Or if you need the prayers of the church, please don't just stand there and sing. Come forward and let the rest of us stand there and sing and encourage you.